the song that we sang a few moments ago, Refiner's Fire. Desire to be holy. I think we, hopefully at least, all understand that in this room, there are none of, there's none of us that have already successfully um, become as pure as we need to be or as holy as we need to be. We are in process. We are challenging ourselves. We come together. You know, I don't know if you've ever thought about how strange we are as a people. We come together to worship on Sunday morning, but also to challenge ourselves. To look at the Word of God and try to reevaluate what our weaknesses are in areas in our lives where we fail. And then be honest with ourselves in saying we know we still have yet to arrive. As we look at the Scripture today, we're going to see some of Paul's frustrations, some of his difficulties. Um, I was talking with a friend not too long ago who was uh, sharing about his problem using drugs. And how at times he could be successful and go for three or four months and really begin to believe he was beyond his issue. And then he would trip and be right back where he had been previously. And the next time, maybe it was six months. The next time, maybe it was two weeks. But the point is, each time he got up and tried again, to challenge himself to get beyond his uh, drug habit. I think in life we all have times when we recognize what we need to do. We need to change, we need to make adjustments, but we find it difficult. Today we're looking at Galatians chapter 1. The book of Galatians deals with an attitude toward truth. Now, you and I want to know truth, but we also recognize that sometimes we don't allow ourselves to truly live by it. Sometimes we want to study about it, but there are things in our lives that impact who we are, and so we'd rather kind of make some adjustments to the truth or try to get a little compromise from it. But one of the truths that we find in Scripture, and certainly in Galatians, is a reminder that the true gospel of Jesus Christ cannot be changed. Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So his own claim was that he was not going to lie to people, but that in him was that which was dependable, that which was accurate. It was absolute truth, not relative truth that was convenient or suitable for people to feel comfortable with, to accept when they could adjust it to a method or an understanding that matched who they were. Truth was just simply truth. And that's kind of what we're looking at today as we look at Galatians 1 and Paul evaluates his story. And as we read through verses 1 through 5, You know, Paul normally spends quite a bit of time each time he writes a letter. 
And remember, the book of Galatians is a letter to the churches in a particular area in central Turkey. That was the Galatian area. So the intent was to provide some guidance to those churches where he and Barnabas had worked at an earlier time. And um, in verses 1 to 5, he does not spend quite as much time as he often does giving all of his extra greetings for this and greetings for that and his appraise for them as a church and how they have done wonderful things in the past and all of this kind of thing. He simply goes straight at it. He says, Paul, an apostle, not sent by men, but sent by God. And he goes on and he talks about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he talks then a little bit about the fact that Christ indeed gave Himself that our sins might be forgiven. So he's talking about his own call. And so Paul does this to identify himself, to reestablish himself with the people with whom he is speaking, and he does it for a purpose. He reminds the people that the days are evil in which they live, and that there is danger found in the world in which we live. And yet there are words of encouragement that are also found if one will be dependent on Christ for their truth and where they go. Paul knew what the problem was that he was about to tackle. He was aware that it was going to be a challenge. So he said to them, basically, remember who I am and remember our history. Uh, I am not a stranger to the faith. I'm not new to the faith. Uh, you'll remember that I've been here before. And in this particular case, he's trying to prepare his listeners to accept and understand that he's aware that the Judaizers who have, who have been in the area have given a lot of um, dirt to his name. Paul's aware that his own reputation has been harmed. He's aware that these people who are Jewish Christians have come into that area and have added to the gospel. So he's beginning in these verses to try to say, I understand your challenge, now let's get to the topic. Now the Judaizers were ones who had basically been convinced that a person had to go through the stages of first becoming, talking to the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people, for them to get in the good graces of God to truly be in Yahweh's hands, they had to first become a Jew. And then from there, they moved over into their faith of Christ. It was a processing. He was, they, they, they taught that you've got to accept the Jewish law, the Old Testament laws, the rules and regulations of Moses. And once you get some of that in line, then you add on top of that Christ, and then you're a true Christian. And within that, it included circumcision and some other things that they said were foundational to proving your commitment is real. As he did that, or as, as the, the Judaizers did that, and as, as Paul dared to come in, in confrontation with that, there was a great deal of challenge because he had to remind his listeners that he was not speaking from his own opinion, it was not based on his perspective of God. It was based on what God had taught him. He was there with a call on his life. And he said, if you'll remember our history, 
you'll remember that I came here with Barnabas and we came for purpose to help you come to know the true gospel. And the true gospel did not include a lot of the things that you've been hearing from the Judaizers. As a result, then we move into verses 6 through 10 of the Scriptures. And as we look at this particular part of the Scriptures, we can see that great statement where it says, I am astonished, in verse 6, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and the turning to a different gospel. So when you get the foundational gospel and then you start doing your plus plus, anyone that's been to Malaysia knows they, everything you go to a hotel there is always this plus plus. And this is the same kind of plus plus. You start off with that which is accurate and solid and then you add plus plus and then that's what you're defining as the, the final conclusion. And Paul is amazed and, and, and just in great pain. But to me, his pain is so understandable. As he thought he had already left a good and healthy church behind when he left the first time. He and Barnabas came into the area. They started these churches in different villages. The people were gathering. They were moving forward in their faith. He had presented a clear gospel of repentance, salvation, service to the Lord, dependence on God, understanding that there is a freedom in Christ that can be found nowhere else. He loved his flock. He loved his people. He cared for them. And he walked away saying, I think I've left a healthy body. And now he comes back and he finds that they've been influenced by outsiders who have added to this thinking. Paul's situation, and I can well imagine the disappointment that he felt. Um, I'm sure that the, the believers that were there that he met in, in Galatian churches were people that he understood had friends that were within the Judaizers. So because the Judaizers did not come into his midst saying, we're bringing a new gospel. They're just coming in and they're saying, we're here to help you grow and mature. And I'm sure these brothers and sisters in this church wanted to grow and mature. But they didn't know when to say, in the growth and maturity, it doesn't mean adding new theology. It doesn't mean adding new restrictions. They were hungry. They were trying to grow as, as people, and they found themselves accepting that which was unhealthy for them. Paul had thought that his flock could manage this kind of pressure. In China, back in the day, I worked with a group called the Born Agains. The Born Agains were a very interesting group. Uh, I didn't work with them in any kind of a ministry setting, but I did get to know some of their leadership. And I can remember being with them, and I kept hearing that 95% of their faith understanding was very healthy. It was very, very burdened for prayer. They wanted to move forward. They wanted to do outreach. They wanted to grow as a body. They wanted to reach their, their nation in the name of Christ. The Judaizers in the Scripture that Paul is dealing with presented a quality presentation of their beliefs and why Christians needed more for their faith. They combined Old Testament beliefs with New Testament thinking 
in order that a person might be fully Christian. It was indeed what you would be calling a full gospel presentation. In the same way, the, the born-again group in China had a, a very interesting thought. But that thought was more than just an opinion. It became their theology. They had a, 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 an understanding that for a person to go through the process of repentance for their sins, a person must cry as an evidence of their faith. Now, don't misunderstand me. Repentance is not wrong. Crying is not wrong. But crying as a sign of repentance in order to receive salvation is wrong. They had made it into a descriptive kind of a prescription for what it was to be a Christian around the crying experience. Their faith had originally been healthy and very sound, but somehow there had been an addition to the faith. When this happens, that is where we begin to talk about that group as a cult group. They've gone one step beyond. I remember meeting a friend in Hong Kong a number of years ago who was um, a Seventh-day Adventist. And we began to talk about her faith. And she had so many things that sounded so good. And then she started talking to me about a lady that I didn't know about. And started talking about a book that I didn't know a lot about and knew some about and began to understand that there had been other beliefs and other thinking that had been added to the foundational faith. It's dangerous, and we need to know what we believe. As a church, we must remain vigilant. It is not easy in our world to remain pure to Christian standards. It is not even easy to hold to absolute standards when we live in a world of relative, everything being relative. Relative values, relative thinking, relative goals, relative ideas of truth. When living together is viewed as an alternative to deciding who is suitable for us to marry, how do we stand? When abortion is treated as an alternative for contraception, 96% of the abortions in Canada are done as a voluntary procedure. Where there are over a hundred thousand surgical abortions annually in Canada. Abortion is permitted for all nine months, the birth of a pregnancy, for any reason, all the way up to the point of birth. Our church must not, under any circumstances, have topics that we fear discussing. We have to be growing and learning individuals. But it will mean that some people will have received more of their influence in their values and morals and understanding of things from society than they have truly from the Word of God. Now understand, by definition, I've already admitted, the Word of God causes me great pain sometimes because it has expectations on me that I can't live up to or I haven't chosen to try to live up to. Some of the time. That is a self-confession, but I dare say I'm not the only one 
in this room who may have that particular weakness. But we have a responsibility to place ourselves under the Word of God. We must allow the Word of God to be our light just as we attempt to be light for the lost world around us. For Paul to be disappointed in the churches in Galatia, I really truthfully can say I feel his pain. Part of it is because I've been a church planner and I know what it's like to leave your church and come back. When you come back to a church that you have started and pastored for several years and you return and they're healthy, wow, it's so exciting. And you can see they've grown. And you can see that they're growing in numbers and growing in faith. But the idea of returning to a church that you've started and thought was very dependent on the Word of God and was very clear in their understanding, you couldn't help but expect that there would be pain in the heart of that church planter. And Paul was that man. And as we look in the Scripture, in verses 6-10, through 10, there's a certain point there where it just simply says, anyone that has come into a church, come into a body of Christians, and brought theology that is not based on what God would teach, or is in addition to what God would teach, the word anathema comes into play. Rejection and destruction. Paul calls for the church to become discerning. Paul is saying that we as Christians have responsibility to grow in our faith and our theology, our doctrine, to the point that we can distinguish what is true and what is false. He says any kind of a new gospel or alteration of a pure gospel will receive the dangers of hell. When he says anathema, that is not a lightweight discussion. This particular condemnation was focused on the Judaizers of his day. He was saying, within your midst, church at Galatia, we can see some of you have got mixed up theology today. Some of you have got confused understanding of the importance of what God would teach. And he says, if you've been receiving that from these people who have been bringing in this expectation, these Jewish Christians who are saying you've got to become like them in order to become Christian, it is wrong. It's wrong for you, but it's even worse on them because God knows what they're doing when they bring this in. That also challenges us to be sure that what we teach is soundly from the Word of God. Because we don't want to become Judaizers. We don't want to become ones that add to the Scripture in a wrong way. The Scripture becomes our foundation. Four years ago, as a person who is from that other country nearby, um, there was uh, an election for an American president. And there was a man that came forth for being elected who was with a Mormon background. And I kept looking at what the alternatives were for what we're going to do. Quite honestly, this year it's even 
stranger yet possibly, but I'm not dealing with the Mormon question today. But as I looked at that issue, I remember the things I struggled because in so many ways, what was presented forth by that particular Mormon was very nice sounding. Actually matched many of my beliefs, matched many of my ideas. And of course, he presented to the American people that Mormonism was a Christian denomination. Of course, he did not talk about the idea that Mormons believe that they can have their own little world, their own little heaven, and they can become gods. He didn't get into the details of a lot of their more unique theology. He focused on the things that he knew were similar. And, but I, and I kept listening and comparing and listening and comparing. Well, at least the guy has faith. Not exactly solid faith. But at least he had... I was trying to convince myself to a certain degree for a very short period of time. The problem that I had was that anything other than the gospel, the pure gospel, anything that is added, added, plus, plus, I knew was wrong. It was difficult to know how to go at that particular situation. And I'm not saying I was angry at the man. If I'm frustrated with Mormonism at all, it has nothing to do with individual Mormons today. It has to do back in history with the great deceiver who started it in the first place. But the challenge for us is that we live in a world where things get close sometime and we begin to say, close is good enough. Close is good enough. It's not bad. This guy is better than this guy. Well, I was having to ask myself, this guy is obviously, seriously not a part of what I would classify as Christianity. He was like the Judaizers were. He was somebody that had a taste of Christianity, but had gone into a complete different direction. Verse 10 Paul was a risk taker. And you know that I love risk takers. He knew that God was his true audience for life, but still had to correct his flock from their own habits of listening to the wrong people. God was who he was mainly concerned about. What people thought of him was not his number one concern. His concern was, am I doing what the Lord would respect? He undoubtedly knew that some of the Galatians were friends with Judaizers at that point. But absolute truth meant that he had to be a risk taker with friendships, with responsibility, and things like that. He risked defending uh, or offending the Galatians with truth. For VCBC, I would say that we have difficult days coming before us. I believe we're going to have difficult days because our society is bringing values and morals that do conflict with where a true Christian should stand. Now, this is not just VCBC's issue. This is the church global that's in this challenge. He risked offending the Galatians with truth. For us, we have to determine... Are we prepared for the difficult days? Do we care enough to risk our job, our popularity, 
our friendships, or whatever is needed in order to truly be faithful to our Lord and to serve Him with all we are. I repeat, do we dare to risk losing our job and our friendships in order to be faithful to our Lord? In China, that's been seen for years. And many other countries, it's been seen for years. But I truly believe we are following similar issues. Because recently, I was reading about the uh, upcoming March 2017 uh, crusade that uh, Franklin Graham is bringing to town. If you don't think the Scripture is practical, think about this. 2017, the Franklin Graham crusade. Now, he's been called now incendiary and intolerant by many Protestants. And Roman Catholics and Protestants have come together against the Festival of Hope having him be involved. They say that he is a polarizing and bigoted individual. We denounce the frequent uh, and intolerant statements made by Reverend Graham, which he unapologetically reiterates Said, said the letter, signed by, and it was signed by a Catholic uh, archdiocese. Uh, it was signed by a, the president of the city in focus. It was signed by a 10th Street uh, church pastor, a Calvary Baptist church pastor, and uh, also a First Baptist church pastor. And it was because of the fact that, indeed, we have seen Franklin Graham speak against premarital sex, adultery, homosexuality, and similar matters. And he is now reaping the results of daring to speak. Now, my comment is, when the church fears talking about subjects that it's our responsibility to talk about, the church is no longer being the church. Now, I've already stated, when we see some of these things, it may make you uncomfortable, it may make me uncomfortable. But if the Scripture says it, we at least need to be challenged to evaluate how am I dealing with the Word of God and what God would expect for any of these. That includes lying. It includes stealing. It includes gossiping. It includes many things. But some sins are certainly ones that if we choose to live within a sin and we know that it is sin and we continue to function, then we have a challenge before us. We have to consider for our day, believers can be... Now look at, again, the Judaizers. Look at the Galatians. Believers can be deceived or confused with false teachings. So just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you've got it all together, Donald Gardner. Just because you're wearing a hat that says you're a pastor doesn't mean you've got it all together. Number two... Not all who claim to know Christ are true Christians. Just because someone would come and say something to our church and present it in a certain way, their faith may not be the same. I got into a conversation with someone this week related to that very issue. The idea of wearing a hat that says, I'm a Christian, much gets to your definition of what it is to be a Christian. If being a Christian means I was baptized as a baby, 
and therefore all is well, I would say that there still needs to be some work there. If, if becoming a Christian means that you were baptized at any age, and you're depending on that for your salvation, I would also question that. Baptism is a symbol. It is a, a testimony. But if it's anything more than that, if that's what you think saved you, then we have a problem. And so Paul was saying to the Galatian church, look at your foundation. Look at what you really believe. And then he went ahead and he said, a curse can still come upon those who abuse the truth of the gospel. Verses 11 to 24, I'm going to take just a moment and read. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by, the, uh, by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the, brother, uh, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I am writing to you is no lie. Then I went to Syria and Sicilia. And I uh, was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They are heard, let's see, they only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of my change. The value of a testimony. Paul's just simply giving it one more time. If you look in... Acts 9 or Acts 26, or you can also find his testimony in more detail. But he's saying, this is my experience. This is what I have walked through. Paul shares that he was not a that he was a success in his work. People saw him with great respect. In every way, he was progressing within his circle of the Jewish leadership. Life was good for Paul. Paul was clear in his own mind that what he was doing was right by persecuting the church, because the church represented that which was incorrect. He was focused on how he understood things to be. Again, very similar to postmodern individuals today, where they define what is true and what is false, and what is right and what is wrong. Instead of allowing the Scriptures to be that which impacts them, they impact how they interpret the Scripture. And that was where Paul was. And he was dealing with Scripture constantly. And he kept saying, this is how I feel. This is how I see it. Paul shared that after he changed to become a follower of Christ, not all had been smooth either. Very interesting. Paul was riding this very strange horse in between the Pharisees 
and this bunch of Judaizers. Judaizers should have been on his side, but somehow they added this plus-plus theology and said Paul's teaching is wrong because it doesn't include all of this. So on one side, he had them going after him, the ones that were so-called Christians. On the other side, he had the Pharisees that were after him and were complaining, saying, you are leaving that faith, the, the, the Jewish faith. So he was writing in the middle of stress on the left and stress on the right. But he told his story as a testimony. Paul's success before the Galatians was found with or without a response toward his words. We must learn a lesson. It is our bold sharing and stepping forward that our lives are successful for serving the Lord. In our boldness and and pure spirit of sharing, we find the gospel of Christ. The gospel of Christ is found in our willingness to allow the Scripture to be the center of our lives. The truth of the Scripture is that we need not add. Even as we've looked at the book of Revelation previously, there's a warning in Revelation very, very strongly against adding extra Scripture. Now, certainly we need to respect the those who have done scholarly work related to the Scriptures, but we do not need to be looking for excuses for our own theology. We need to be looking for what the Bible teaches us. We are to be taught by the Scripture. We're not to teach the Scripture what it should teach. And that would be our prayer for us. As we look at Galatians and we begin to walk with Paul through his experience and through his pain, because he was looking at those churches And he was saying, I poured my heart into these churches. And now I'm having to come back here and find you guys have gotten confused. Now, I don't know about you, but I know I get confused sometimes. And I need to come back to the Scripture as my standard. And I want an absolute standard. I do not want a relative standard. I have no interest in what you think. I can remember sitting and listening when I was young to pastors preach, and they say the pastor would say, and I feel this, and I feel that. And I kept thinking, you know, just tell me what God feels. I want His standards to guide me. That would be my prayer for you and for me, that God's standards would be our guide. Let us pray. Father God, we come before You today giving You thanks that Your Word exists for us to follow. We give thanks that we're able to learn from the testimony of Paul. We thank you for his courage. We thank you for his burden. And as we continue to look throughout the book of Galatians, we ask that you would allow those experiences to be things that challenge us and help us to grow and mature. We thank you for allowing us to focus on you this day in Jesus' name.